RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log Live is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and their collection of exclusive Star Trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com slash books. Use promo code MISSION10 at checkout for 10% off of all books and graphic novels. Welcome one and all to Mission Log Live. It's 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Time to go back to the disco. I'm John Champion. I'm Holly Amos. Season three of Star Trek Discovery has kicked off, and it only felt like 930 years between seasons. Now we're finally here to find out what you thought after catching up with Michael Burnham and some familiar, unfamiliar faces. So it's time to call in to let us know what you thought. Let us know what you're looking forward to this season. We are here for you. Click on the Zoom meeting link or use the one tap from your smartphone or call 669-900-6833 and enter the meeting code. You'll be connected to Earl and he'll connect you to us. Holly, welcome to the show. I mean, I know that this isn't your first time on Mission Log Live, but it's your first time like, like we get to really work together and do a season together. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm like sort of official now. Yay! Yeah, yeah, look, you've always been official in our <laughs> hearts, okay? Um, actually, tell for anybody watching who doesn't know who you are, uh, please give us the nutshell version of your Trek cred, because you got a great story. Oof, uh, Trek cred. Uh, so I worked for the official archive and CBS Consumer Products in the Licensing and Product Development Division for the Star Trek brand for five years from 2012 to 2017. I was then an executive producer on a Star Trek video game called Star Trek Adversaries. It was a digital collectible card game. Some of you might remember it. Uh, and now I work for Roddenberry. Sometimes I go into the office and organize their archive and sometimes I'm on podcasts. Yay. That's, that's my very, Star Trek cred. Yes. Very. Uh, and yeah, I mean, look, and you're a fan from way back. I mean, that's. I've been a fan. Really yeah. My whole, my whole life. I was, I'm 16 months older than the next generation but my parents were fans of the original series so I was exposed to um, the next generation from like the time that it premiered and Star Trek's always been part of my life in one form or another. Well, I'm so glad that we get to do this. And, and um, well, there's a car drag racing on my street uh, <laughs> to pick the perfect time to do that. And you are a master cosplayer uh, at conventions. We have to yeah. mention that. You yeah, I mean, track. come on. You know, you've, I, you've had like at least three changes in a day I've seen before. And, you know, you've done some very creative things like the Holly deck. You've done some deep cut TAS references. Oh yeah, so, animated yeah. series. That's my jam because yeah. no one knows what it is usually. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you, but I do, I do, I do a lot of uh, actual cosplay during the day, and then in the evening I do more kind of like boundy type stuff that it's inspired by, but not literal cosplay. I just like coming up with the concepts of inspired by garments. Yeah. Excellent. Well. Thrilled to have you here, and I look forward to this 10 weeks, uh, sometimes me, sometimes Norman, but with you to get us through Discovery Season 3. Very cool. And so many people in the chat who want to say hi. Uh, great to see everybody. There's Carlos, and Carlos is saying hey to everyone and Tracy because Tracy Coco is there. 
always a pleasure to see her. Uh, there's Scott Palm. What's up, Scott? How are you? Uh, there's Tracy saying hello to Carlos and Scott. Uh, there's Paul, one of many Pauls, uh, but that's Paul Wright checking in. There's Ron. Uh, there's Matthew, and I believe Matthew is holding on patiently, so we'll get to talk him live here in a moment. Uh, there's Chuck, there's John Cooley, Cooley, uh, there's Kevin, there's so many people who are joining us live. Pleasure to see you all, and I hope that you'll take this opportunity to click on the Zoom meeting link or use the one tap or call in because honestly, I mean, look, Holly and I could talk to each other for hours about this stuff, but really it's more fun when we have you join us for that conversation. We want to know what you thought. I want to know uh, all about your reactions to this first episode of season three. I, look, I don't want to spoil our conversation, but are you, are, are you anticipating some tonal shifts here in this season? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, almost a thousand years will do that, I feel like, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I'm excited that they went into a time that has uh, not been explored by the franchise. Um, I know that that was a lot of people's beef always with, um, not just with the Star Trek franchise, but with any franchise that does like a pre, like you have mm -hmm. to adhere to uh, the continuity of that, of that timeline um so i'm excited that they've gone into something that hasn't been explored they're still touching on things that are canon i love that they're touching on things that happened in enterprise because i think enterprise is wonderful and it gets yeah. overlooked it, it's um, sort of the unsung hero i feel like it, it's an underappreciated show yeah but it's then, a weird red-headed stepchild of, yeah. of a show Almost like TAS, one might yeah, say. Yeah, and for a, for a long time, Deep Space Nine as well. Yeah. I mean, Deep Space Nine, not until recently, where people were like, oh, that's actually the best Star Trek. And I was like, <laughs> I, yes, it's been a great Star Trek for a long time since it aired. Where have you been? Right. Now let's talk about some upcoming, uh, some, some business, some news this week. I mean, I, I guess the first thing that was on my mind was the update on STLV and uh, Creation's big Vegas convention. Uh, you want to give us the rundown there on uh, what, the, what the news was this week? Well, the news was, and I think that a lot of people were expecting it, they had originally pushed the convention from its regular time slot in August to December, um, obviously with the pandemic still being a thing and not really improving, they have decided that it is not going to happen this year, um, which is very responsible of them, but a bummer because that's something that I look forward to every year. So, yeah, I know, but they have announced that they will come back with a different show this time, the 55 year mission show. Um, not affiliated, not licensed by CBS, but they're doing a thing in Vegas. And honestly, look, um, I like the idea that uh, I think a lot of people feel this way, which is we like going to Vegas to see our Star Trek pals. So regardless, whatever the context is, we, we want to go do this. So it's now scheduled for the second week of August, 2021. And I just think a lot of people will go because that, that's their thing. You know, they, they look forward to just that camaraderie of getting together with each other. Um, so I, I look forward to seeing what the future brings with that and what the next uh, officially licensed convention will be as well. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to see how, how that'll unfold and what the new convention company will decide to do in terms of location and execution. And yeah. 
I think the other piece of news this week is that finally it was confirmed that Discovery is renewed for a season four, uh, which is funny because it, it, not only had this been sort of leaked and discussed many times, but I, I think I even saw people taking pictures of signage from the studio in Toronto like weeks ago and putting it up. But, but finally there is confirmation that yeah. Yeah, CBS has officially renewed. And uh, I did see somebody say that it was a spoiler because now we know that the crew lives through season three, which I thought was, uh, well, well, okay, but, but, that's I mean, fair. You can still kill off uh, crew members. You can still have a change of, you know, format. It's still discovery, uh, you know, maybe. We'll see what happens. But yeah, they're <laughs> going to start shooting November 3rd, I saw. Yeah, I think that's Toronto, right. So right around the corner. That's exciting that things are able to resume in a safe way. So I'm excited for them. Indeed. All right. So, hey, before we get to the recap and our calls, uh, quick check in with our poll questions. Uh, if you would do the honors of telling us about the poll from last week and where people landed on that. So last week's poll, we asked you guys what you thought of the season finale of Lower Decks. I loved it. Um, and so did 90% of you. 5% uh, of you said that you could take it or leave it. And 5% of you said that you hated it. Ah, uh, don't even. I can't. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it was such a strong episode. And I've talked to people who haven't finished the show. They haven't caught it. They watched a few episodes and then just kind of it fell off their radar. They gave up on it. I'm just like, no, no, no. But you don't understand. Getting through those nine episodes, and I, I wouldn't say getting through is pejorative. I'm just saying, like, dedicate the time to those nine episodes because that tenth one, wow. Yeah. We really did a great piece of Star Trek. Got that. so many great references, and that the last note of it's been a long road for them. <laughs> and just, from there to here. Uh -huh. Yeah, just. Bobak Ferdosi and I, which many of you know, is one of my best friends. Uh, he works yeah. at JPL NASA, and I rewatched it with him, and we just were on the floor. It's I. It was the third time I'd watched it, and that joke is still funny. It's so awesome, and it's also an Enterprise reference. Yay, yes. Enterprise! Yes, exactly. Uh, now this week we asked you about the uh, the premiere of uh, Discovery season three, and we asked you because we were talking about this before the show. Uh, the alien species who maybe we caught a little bit of in other series, maybe we haven't seen in a while, but boom, then they're back uh, here in Disco. So, so who have you missed? Who are your favorite returning alien species in Discovery? Uh, the Orion has thirteen percent. The Andorian has twelve percent. The Lurian has 7% and, uh, and a cat. Uh, cat. Cat's got 53%. A cat. Because I think this is the, the first like real cat, filmed cat we've seen since Spot, right? Like a live action cat? Um, well, I mean, you had Neelix in Voyager. Oh, wait, he, he's a cat? He's a cat. <laughs> he's Barkley's cat. A little okay. white cat. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, I think that might have been the last time that we saw a cat. It's was, been a while. It's, so it's been a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, this cat is a huge Maine Coon, so it is a huge on-screen presence, more than any of the other cats that we've seen in the franchise. Yes. Um, Maine Coons are pretty legit. You have a very large cat. <laughs> yes, yes. It is really cool looking. All right. Well, I tell you what, uh, if you'll let me do the honors here and I will go through the recap and uh, then we will talk to some of our callers who are standing by. Um, 
Here's the thing. Norman and I talked uh, at the end of our coverage of Lower Decks, and, and we just feel like we want to make sure we're getting as many comments as we can. Um, and we really wanted to condense down the recap. So I did my best to shrink this thing down. Here we go. Y'all remember last season, right? Red Angel, Time Crystal, Control, Leland, and a final battle in which all that AI floating around in Discovery's noggin needed to be moved someplace way, way far away, like 930 years in the future away. Michael Burnham makes a trip through the wormhole a split second before Disco, and she winds up making a very rough landing after literally bumping into someone's ship on the way down to the nearest planet. That ship was piloted by a guy named Book, and after a fight, they're cool with each other. He lets her in on what's happening. About 100 plus years ago, all the dilithium active in ships at that moment exploded, what they call the burn. So nobody is getting anywhere fast. Dilithium is highly sought after, and the fabled Federation has been out of touch ever since. They go to a place called Requiem to do some trading and get Michael a transmitter, only he lied. Book has Michael set up to lose all of her stuff because, frankly, he's got to get out of there with his very important cargo. Common enemies like Orions and Andorians force Book and Michael to team up to escape together, though. And after some quick transporting, they wind up back at Book's ship with the bad guys in search of his cargo, too. That turns out to be a giant space transworm. Scary, eats people, but really likes Book and is kind of sweet when he has her spit out Michael. Off they go to a sanctuary planet to protect endangered species. It's kind of Book's thing, the transworms, and even his huge, fluffy, adorable cat, Grudge. One good turn deserves another, so Book helps Michael back to one remaining Federation relay station in the area definitely worse for wear and occupied by one guy, Mr. Sahil, who has been patiently waiting to meet someone, anyone from Starfleet. He's no help finding discovery since all long range sensors have been dead for decades and it could be tomorrow or a thousand years before it shows up. Who knows? He'll keep looking for discovery, any sign of the Federation as he has his whole life, even though he's not even a commissioned officer until Michael makes him acting communications officer, and together they raise the Federation flag. The end. Super Aww. cliff note version, right? Was it that, did, did, that, did that touch you, that, that final scene? Yeah, I, mean, I do. The final yeah. scene is, is really nice. That, that I mean, we see him at the beginning, and you're not quite sure what's going on. Like, who is this guy? And then it just cuts to the action and you're like, who was that guy? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it was a good kind of bookend to obviously then go back and reveal who that guy was and what he was doing. And, you know, it's really nice that he had kept that flag for that. He said, you know, generations of his family. Yeah. Um, it's just really sweet. Like, like you immediately uh, sort of identify with and you're, you're pulling for him. Like, oh, th this is a guy who keeps that hope alive. Like, it's really, it's really touching. I, I, I love watching that scene all the multiple times I watched this episode. Um, hey, tell you what, why don't we go to our first caller who is patiently standing by. It's Matt. Welcome to the show, Matt. How are you doing tonight? Doing pretty well. Just uh, working here in the tube tonight, of course. <laughs> Yes. I'm on the bridge. 
I yeah. see. Yeah. Well, I guess that's my expectation. I'm still still hanging a little bit with the lower decks here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good but, thing we uh, have this kind of communication. So, you know, you can take orders from the bridge and, you know, Holly knows what's going on there. So good. That, that, that's excellent. Yeah. There we and, go. And hello, Holly. I think it's the first time I've talked to you. <laughs> Hi. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. So what's happening? What about this uh, first episode? Well, one thing, um, getting into Lower Decks, I was like, oh, I'm just waiting for Discovery 3. But man, this week I was like, oh, where's my Lower Decks episode? I did enjoy oh. getting my Discovery as well, but I've just got to shout out that one is uh, sticking with me quite well. Um, one thing for Discovery, sometimes it gets sort of the criticism of being sort of the Michael Burnham show, which this one actually was, but right. it worked out pretty well for that, I think. Um, her, one of my favorite moments with her so far, of course, is the... Um, the happy sauce, the space juice to get her weird for a while. I love that. And, oh, uh, the camera the work, the camera work on <laughs> that to, to kind of go along with how she was feeling was brilliant. Yeah, I always but liked the uh, shifting fear with and her. loathing Las Vegas yeah. Uh, yeah. sort of ether <laughs> right. trip made me think of that a little bit. Um, yeah, she's quite good in here. Um, we mentioned, uh, you guys mentioned that uh, some Enterprise references and it was very good to hear that uh, the Temporal War is a few hundred years in the past. I love Enterprise, but yeah, I don't want it to go with the Temporal War. I mean, actually, right. the first thing that occurred to me in terms of um, Enterprise references was when Book was talking about the burn specifically, and had, she was like, well, when did it happen? And he said, I don't know, 100 and 120 years ago, like it was before I was born. And the first thing that I thought of was Daniels. I was like, hmm. where was Daniels when that happened? Oh. Because, I mean, he operated out of that century so and hmm. temporal temporal you know all of that stuff was still a thing i mean he was still traveling through space uh and time um going back and hanging out with the crew of enterprise the nx01 so where was he when the burn happened like i feel interesting. like he, i don't know that's yeah. the first person i thought was daniels and i'm like why isn't <laughs> yeah, anybody yeah. talking about where daniels was <laughs> yeah i need to get to my enterprise rewatch I've, I've been sticking with mission log so i'm still with you in deep space nine but i i do like enterprise quite well um the other thing is i guess this shows very much like a, a placeholder um not a placeholder mm -hmm. excuse me a place setter um mm -hmm. so something i kind of hope to see in the season which i kind of smelled in here i'm a real big fan of asimov's foundation and i just felt like mm -hmm. a lot of the tones in here were sort of like that trading the technology uh, formerly connected Federation areas now being led by different people where we just have this Federation outpost, which is a little bit like the foundation slowly spreading civilization back across the galaxy. And um, I don't know if that's where they're heading, but I would like to see that sort of thing. I think that would be very cool for a 32nd uh, century Star Trek. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Hey, I, I want to ask you about something that you brought up uh, a, a moment ago, which is about this being focused on Michael Burnham. And I saw a similar comment as well. And I, I, I didn't really know how to take that. First of all, it, it just seemed uh, sort of, you know, randomly inappropriate and short-sighted, uh, simply because when you have a series of any sort where you have you know, star or, you know, protagonist characters, and you have secondary characters, generally the stories are going to focus on those protagonist characters. Like this isn't out of the ordinary for TV or for a film or anything at all. But I, I, I think in this particular episode, they did something really clever, which is 
you know, uh, we have separated our characters physically, but we've also separated them by time. Right. And this is a big question hanging over what's about to happen. So I really like the idea. Honestly, it could have been anybody. You, you could have said like, ooh, we're going to follow what happened to this character after this major event. But I like it when a show takes its time to do that. Yeah. As far as we know, everybody who was on Discovery are all together wherever they are, whenever they are. But this happens to be the one who is the the instigator of what happened at the end of last season. So why not? Let's take a breath. Let's see what happens here specifically. And set and it then up. Put those pieces back together. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I understand people's complaints to a certain degree. And I think it's just because people are used to previous Star Treks have been ensemble cast, but they've been bottle episodes in which it was like, oh, this is a Data episode. This is a Troy mm -hmm. episode. Like, there's been a focus on a character, but it's largely not been with a major protagonist like Michael Burnham. That being said, this is also, like you said, a really great setup. And, and when it came to the end of the episode, um, when she's talking to Sahil and he basically says, like, I don't see them, um, and, you know, they could come through the wormhole a year from now. They could come through a thousand years from now. The first thing that mm -hmm. I thought of when, I mean, I'm always connecting to other places in Star Trek. <laughs> uh, the 2009 Star Trek film, they, Nero's crew and Spock go through the wormhole. How long did Nero's crew wait for Spock to come through? It was 25, 25 years. 25 years, yeah. So if, and there were scenes in which they were on the Klingon prison planet for like 25 years and then they escaped. And there's a whole storyline that actually got cut out of the movie. But if mm -hmm. you had turned that into an episode, Spock wouldn't have been there at all. It's the same concept. Right. Like it right. would have been focused on, they came through the wormhole first and we don't know where discovery is or when they're going to come through, but it, it makes sense for them to focus on Michael in this first episode. Yeah. It's I think what really works with this one, maybe I think the complaint maybe with the previous seasons is sort of she was kind of artificially being given gravitas. Now mm, she's mm. Spock's sister, mom is the red angel. And yeah. where this episode does work with her, like I sort of said it facetiously about being the Michael Burton show, because this one works as it, because her character gets some uh, room to breathe. She gets high, she gets spit out by a space worm. She's actually <laughs> in a, you know, not heroic setting she's like what is going on all she's got is this box of um antiquated federation gear so this yeah. one actually for once instead of just saying this is what her character is this is why she's important um her character now actually gets a chance to sort of breathe and um be a lot more interesting here and, and matt I, you, you nailed on the head exactly uh what i was sort of alluding to earlier when i was talking about the tonal shift here in this season the thing that i wasn't crazy about in discovery before was you know, telling the audience why a character is important. Like you just mentioned, Spock is her brother, well, adoptive brother, and her mom's a red angel. And we're telling the audience, you have to follow this character because she is important for all these reasons, as opposed to letting the story unfold where we are shown how the character is important. And to me, that, that was a distinction. In this episode, just by itself, First of all, by giving her the laughing gas, <laughs> we definitely, we create a lighter moment within the show. And again, by removing all context around Michael, everything that had happened before, her, her normal interactions with her crewmates, we really get to start over. 
And that was cool. And I thought uh, all those scenes at Requiem where it's just sort of this very, you know, chaotic and, and energetic marketplace and stuff where she doesn't understand what's going on just made it a lot of fun. Um, and yes, we, we got great action. We got great special effects. We got great locations. We got all that stuff that we want to see out of modern day sci-fi. Uh, but we got a lot more. So, um, and I hope that we do see more of that as the season goes along because the show has decided we're going to take these characters completely out of the place that we uh, have them in a comfortable spot, put them in a different time, in a different place. We really get to, uh, to reboot in a way here. Yeah, basically yeah. got a prelude now, and I am going to be very interested where it, uh, it's going to lead. It might have been nice to see part two right along with it, but hey, we're, mm -hmm. you know, what, three more days, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Anyway, that, that, and, and that by the pretty way, much covers my thoughts. You know, oh, oh, I would say, it just as a stylistic thing, I do like it when shows will break their format a bit and do something like this where you just follow a character. And God, and it gave him an excuse to shoot in Iceland. Yeah, uh, it is gorgeous. It is incredibly gorgeous. Yeah, I've I went to Iceland two years ago, and it's yeah. the most fantastic place. It's the coolest country. The people are nice. It's beautiful. Uh, I didn't even realize this until uh, the other day. Mary Wiseman was being interviewed and was like, "There's no trees," and I was like, "Oh, oh she's right. There's wow. no trees in Iceland. Like it's <laughs> it's like." And I mean, obviously, that's why they decided to shoot there. It looks so alien, but it's. Uh, it, when I heard that they were shooting in Iceland, I was so excited for them because it's such a great country. Interesting. Interesting. Um, oh, by the way, uh, just going back to our poll results where we were talking about, you know, returning alien species, Orion, Andorian, Lurian, cat. Uh, Paul here says a cat is not an alien. Really, Paul? Well, that's fair. Really? I mean, we could have included, <laughs> we could have included Cardassian because you very, very quickly see a Cardassian. And yes. we also could have included uh, Betelgeusean, who, I mean, we haven't seen a Betelgeusean since the motion picture. Motion picture. Yeah. That's and, I like to think all cats are aliens. See, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Yep. They're alien to somebody. So, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts tonight, Matt? No, I scrawled down my notes. Oh, well, you can't see, but I think oh. I uh, talked about all of them. So, <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much for calling in. It was a pleasure to see you again. Good and, talking to you. Uh, Have a good one. Yeah, absolutely. You too. Take care. Hey, uh, before we get to our uh, other callers here, and by the way, there is still time to call in. So if you want to give us a shout, click on the Zoom meeting link or uh, use the one tap from your smartphone or call 669-900-6833. Type in the meeting code and the password. Earl, he, he's just, he's ready. He's chomping at the bit, ready to talk to you. Uh, so he will talk to you for a moment and then he will connect you over to us and we look forward to that moment. Um, but before we get to that, before we get to our, uh, we have a little bit of business we have to take care of. So we, we will get to that in a moment. There are some other little details here that I want to throw your way, Holly. Um, for me, one of the challenges of Star Trek is always, whether you're telling, uh, uh, you know, 23rd or 24th century Trek, and you kind of go forward or backward in the timeline a little bit, you know, next gen had to look more advanced than TOS. Right. In, in different ways, you know, like touch screens rather than buttons. And then you've got Enterprise where you have to have some physical like toggle switches and different right. lighting scheme to make the NX-01 look older. 
But in this, we have a station that is, you know, it's not 900 years in the future, but it's however long in the future before the burn happened. And there's some technology on that that is super cool. Right. So the matter that his bed, yeah. the feel when he gets up and his bed just, and I was like, oh, you wouldn't have to make your bed every morning. Anymore. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Although I, to be fair, I do get a lot of joy out of making my bed every day. It makes me feel like I've accomplished <laughs> something immediately. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, his, his little bird, his little bird. Yeah, the bird I want alarm a bird. Clock. Yeah. I mean, I, Adorable. yeah, I want. Uh, and then, you know, his desk comes up and I mean, even books ship and his controls and all of that too is, is the Beautiful. same, is the same concept. And it's, uh, you know, the art directors did a really lovely job on, on both of those. Um, I, I thought it was interesting, you know, like book ship, uh, had a very, it was like mid century, 20th century, but taken super futuristic because he had a lot of like wood and a, a lot of very kind of interesting organic smooth designs in there. Uh, but then the space station almost felt like 80s futurism with yeah. that really geometric look. And look, this is something we've been seeing on Mission Blog forever and ever. If you've got a holodeck, why don't you live in the holodeck? Because literally <laughs> that room can be anything you want it to be. That is my dream. All, all the stuff that you can't see around me, like my dream is to be able to push a button and it just evaporates into a replicator somewhere. Ah, uh, but then, then psychologically, psychologically uh -huh. though, do you turn into Barkley? Where Ooh, you're like, do you don't know what's real and what's not. I, like, that, <laughs> that is uh, on a daily basis for me anyway. I think you know that about me. <laughs> so, you know, how much worse could it be? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've had that question too. Why don't people just live on the holodeck? But yeah. I mean, that's essentially you just push a button and your bed goes away. Awesome. Right. But it, was <laughs> such a, it was such a cool way to show a few Trek technology that is distinct from what we see on the Discovery or on other contemporary ships and stations from that time, uh, the 2250s, I guess. Uh, yeah versus what we would see on next gen or 24th century contemporary shows really to make it distinct but also extrapolating from the technologies we already understand from star trek i thought that was just super yeah, cool they've, yeah they've they've done a they did a great job and yeah. again i want all of that stuff i i want it all and i'm so. sure that we're gonna see more i mean that was only the first episode like who knows oh, where yeah. we're gonna end up and what other stuff we're going to see but yeah so far i mean bookship is I love bookship. And I don't think that in the episode we really saw like all the way around, like there's some pretty interesting little nuggets oh, yeah. and vignettes in his ship. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. That I'm excited for people to see. I, uh, I want my bedroom to look like the Federation station bedroom because there's nothing there. As you hit a button, it all disappears, right? I want my home bar to look like bookship. Like it was just, it was swanky, like, right. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. Yeah. His, yeah. his bed does not go away though. He has a bed on the ship that I don't think we've seen yet, but uh, it was right. actually in yeah. uh, the ready room and they gave a little yeah. tour and I was like, Oh, there's like a little table area that a hundred percent reminds me of the little table in the millennium Falcon. Oh, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> I was like, Oh, yes. oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm excited hey. to see more of his ship. 
Awesome. Well, look, we've got a couple of callers standing by who we're going to get to in just a second, but uh, very quickly, a little business, if you will all indulge us. Uh, we love Eagle Moss. We love all the stuff that they do. And they are back this week with a new line of products to talk about for us to tell you about. That would be the Eagle Moss Hero Collector Star Trek Bookshop. So now, while all of you, our Mission Log listeners, are definitely familiar with the various collections of model starships from every corner of the Star Trek universe by Eagle Moss, you may not be as familiar with the wide and ever-expanding variety of officially authorized special edition books published by Eagle Moss and available online at the Eagle Moss shop. So fans who pay a visit to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at herocollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive visual guides that go even deeper into Star Trek history and canon and any books ever published, each extensively researched and developed by the Eagle Moss Hero Collector under the supervision of another Star Trek expert, Ben Robinson. We love You've met Ben, right? I yeah. love Ben. Ben I, is, yes, ben is awesome. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, books from the Star Trek Shipyard series present a timeline of almost every ship that has appeared in the Star Trek TV shows and movies. And I know that there's a lot of you that are ship buffs. <laughs> the original, it's from the original series forward to Discovery and backward to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet ships, while others focus on ships from other members of the Federation, including the Vulcans, Andorians, Tellarites, and Bajorans. Even more of our favorite uh, alien species. I had to slip in those names, too. Uh, so books in the Designing Starship series boldly go where few have gone before, deep behind the scenes into the conception, development, and detail of ships from every era. There are even volumes from the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection. There's something for literally every Star Trek fan of every generation. Hmm, makes a great gift. Uh, plus, especially for friends of Mission Log Live, use the code MISSION10. That's the num numeral 10. So MISSION, M-I-S-S-I-O-N, 1-0 at checkout and get 10% off all books and graphic novels. And by the way, there's a little secret between me and you and everybody listening. That goes for all books there, not just the Star Trek books. There's a ton there. So to browse around the shop, visit herocollector.com slash books. Remember to use our code MISSION10 at checkout for your 10% discount. Tell them that uh, Holly and I sent you, okay? Yeah. Uh, now, patiently standing by to talk a little disco with us, and he is themed appropriately as he should be. Disco! Yeah, it's Chris. Welcome to the show, Chris. How's it going tonight? There we go. Get on Yay. Yeah, we're doing hey, good. We doing good. Rocking my yes. disco shirt as I should. Uh, yeah, this was this was really fun um, to just sort of echo things that have been said earlier. It's for me, Discovery is the first show that I've gotten to watch evolve in real time. I was too young to watch sort of the Berman era sort of flourish and develop, and so to watch Discovery go from sort of the dark war stuff of season one to injecting the light with Pike in season two. And now where we see like uh, Burnham and the other characters probably later sort of find their own light and sort of continue to emit it, you know, get back to the title. I know we like to play the title game. The mm -hmm. hope is you, the hope mm -hmm. is you. You're the person sustaining that. So it's been fun to sort of see that. And that looks to be like a really exciting theme for me going forward. It's like being the light in the dark times, which is uh, maybe a little uh, prescient. 
humanity. What did you think about that uh, that title? I mean, it, it really applies to the three main characters we have in this episode. Uh, Burnham is the hope for well a, a number of things. You know, she she's sort of the the, the torchbearer for this idea of the Federation finding reassembling. Obviously, she needs to get back together with her crewmates. Uh, she holds on to some ideals that may have been lost. Also, um, in her words, she saved all of the things. She saved all the things. Yes, yeah, she did. Yes. Um, Book uh, clearly is a hopeful person who is protecting uh, animals. I thought this was just this is a lovely specific character trait about him and his connection to animals. And then you've got Mr. Sahil who is hopeful about one day being able to be a part of this legendary thing that he has heard about the Federation. Uh, so it, it applied to everybody there. Maybe not so much to the Andorians and Orions chasing after them, but you know, we didn't get to know them super well. <laughs> So that's okay. I look. I, I want to bring this up to both of you. I, I have a note here. Uh, speaking of the uh, the alien and secondary characters, uh, I took a note. That says uh, I love that big dumb Orion. <laughs> he he was. Did he have a line in there at some point? Like you want to go get a sandwich? Yes. <laughs> you know? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he said that. Like, yeah. They yeah. they drugged Burnham or whatever, and they're waiting for it to kick in. And he's like, "This right. is taking too long. You want to go get a sandwich?" And I was like, "Oh my God, there's sandwiches in the future, Scotty. There are sandwiches in the future still. <laughs> it's it, like thousand, thousand years. years. There's still sandwiches, Scotty. Yes. Kelvin, Scotty would be very excited. You would." would yes it's brilliant um, the sandwich is there so good what, what else chris anything that uh, that stood out to um, you here a bit a bit lighter thing so as we may know um each year discovery changes the graphics and the theme song to be oh, thematically yeah. related oh, yeah, the, the intro hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and uh when i watched this on thursday night the first thing that i latched on to was oh my god robot friend robot friend we're getting uh -huh. a robot friend this season yeah uh -huh. robot friend so uh -huh. that's my entire uh, thought process now is where's the robot friend? Where robot can I friend. see the robot friend? <laughs> Who is the robot friend? Yeah. Uh, one yes. of my friends saw it and was like, oh, we're getting a Wally. -E. I was like, oh. It, it, it's an Eve. It's an Eve. It's yeah. Eve. Yeah. 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 Very Yeah, robot friend. I, I'm always a little torn with the idea of uh, the relationship that producers and writers have with the audience and with critics and, and you know the audience now can be very loud uh particularly because of the internet and of course everybody's a critic but but i'm talking specifically about uh you know people in professional critical circles that discovery rightfully so got a lot of praise got a lot of attention when it came out it, you know first new star trek series in a long time also got a lot of criticism, some of it rightfully placed, some of it maybe not so much. But as much as I want to see producers and writers uh, really stick to their guns and stick to their vision of a show, I also wonder when you get to a third season of a show like this, it's been out there for a while, you're getting to know those characters a bit, is it legitimate for those producers and writers to go, hmm, you know what, maybe the audience saying this is too dark, too heavy, too self-serious, maybe we do need to lighten that up. Like, do you, do either, I realize we're speculating here, do either of you think that's what's going on with this tonal shift? Or is this a sort of like naturally what grows out of, oh, 
we've done the worst story. Now we're out of it. Let's lighten it up. I think it might be a little bit of both. Um, I do feel like it can't 100% be them seeing what fans are saying. Um, I think that dark storytelling is a huge deal right now because mm. dark storylines are also heavy storylines and by and large because of streaming and people binging stuff they can afford to tell fully serialized really dark really complex stories as opposed to you know the bottle episodes of the days of tos or the next generation um mm -hmm. so i i don't think it's a hundred percent them reacting to fans saying this is too dark because there's so much other stuff out there that is dark that I'm yeah. sure people are complaining about, but there's also a lot of people that are really enjoying those stories. But, but yeah. do you feel like, you know, Star Trek is in this sort of special place where when people do get critical of the morals, meanings, messages, and they're like, uh, I don't want just darkness. Like, can't Star Trek be that one sort of shining light that well, says, well, it can no, be, but be hopeful, you know? Well, it can, first of all, it can be both. And that's sure. obviously like Discovery was dark and now it's getting a little bit lighter. But there's also more than one Star Trek show out right now. Yeah. So if, yeah. if one show is not your cup of tea, then one of the others might be. Mm. So, I mean, I know that a lot of people uh, felt like Picard was a little bit lighter than Discovery, and they enjoyed Picard more than they enjoyed Discovery. Interesting. And then you have Lower yeah. Decks, which is completely... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> completely like nothing that we've experienced in the franchise before. <laughs> and Lower Texas crams a lot into a 22 minute script. They just, uh, they, they just throw it all in there and fast and furious and, and thank goodness, you know, um, what else is on your mind tonight, Chris, as far uh, as our uh, season three yeah, premiere. Just to bump off of what Holly was saying a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think this is sort of watching the writers learn where the fine sort of, middle ground is because like if you even if you look at like all we have with season three is this premiere right yeah. and it's yeah. decidedly lighter than season one and maybe even season two but you still have sort of the overarching like like threat of what is the bird what caused the federation to collapse and like i like watching the writer's room figure out that they can have fun moments like burnham being high while also telling sort of i don't want to say dark stories but you can tell meaningful stories and still be optimistic i think is what we're learning from season three for me right. season two was sort of the hard left that we went oh people weren't so into that let's bring in bright shiny pike and i love bright shiny <laughs> pike i mean i really do but yeah. i think season three is them sort of going okay what's the happy medium of we want to be somewhat light but we still do have important things to say yeah and, you know, I, I also kind of look at this like, um, you know, from the production reality, uh, you know, there's no one correct way to plan and produce a TV show. Some come together under the worst of circumstances, some come together under the best of circumstances, and, and it's usually a crapshoot what you end up with in the end, whether it's really going to click with the audience and tell the story that you want to tell and the style that you want to tell it. Discovery seasons one and two combined are Eight, uh, I'm sorry, 28 episodes. We had 15 episodes in the first season, 13 in the second season. So that is literally what we would have gotten out of one season of TNG, uh, TOS, 
DS9, you know, those were between 26 and 29 in the 60s when, when you went back to the, the earliest seasons. Um, this is, and, and they had these long gaps in between too, because they're writing the whole season and producing the whole season at a time. You kind of look at this and go, okay, we've basically seen one season's worth of Star Trek in these two seasons compared to the the seven seasons 178 episodes of next gen that we got over that period so i wonder if like it 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 just we're a little too acclimated to the fast and furious schedule of previous tv production when it comes to trek and now we're acclimating to this new style where it's like nope you get 10 if you're picard you get 13 if you're disco and then that's it that that's the story that we're telling they were going away for a year. Then we'll come back, you know? Yeah, but I mean, I feel like people had to have expected storytelling to change again. And I, I this mm-hmm. is, when I was in college, I worked for Hollywood Video. And I was literally when like Redbox and Netflix and all of those were becoming a thing. And I watched storytelling change. I mean, everybody else did too, but I was a lot more, I feel like I was a lot more cognizant of it um, in terms of, you know, people threatening to, stop renting for to go to Netflix and I was like yeah I mean that's the future of of the way that people are going to consume their media they're going to want to binge it and that fundamentally changes the way that a story is told so I mean we're used to waiting a week between episodes we're waiting for you know the 26 episodes in in the schedule and with streaming networks like they don't have to adhere to the network demands like they don't have to fit into a time frame like it's you know monday nights at eight like that's that's not a thing anymore so it it just it changes the way that 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 stories are told and i mean that's largely how um fully serialized things became i you you watch deep space nine and towards the end of that it's semi-serialized with the dominion war but not fully and that that didn't happen by and large until we had streaming because then no one's afraid they're going to miss an episode like that was something that i remember watching deep space nine yeah and being afraid that i was going to miss an episode because if you didn't catch it at that time in that time frame on that night that it airs like you have no idea what's going on with the war at least the war storyline you had no idea what was going on but that's, right. that's also not a thing anymore. You can tune in whenever you have free time. And if you wait until, I mean, I don't feel like a lot of people wait until the end of the Star Trek uh, now because they're releasing them weekly the way that, that we're used to. Um, and I don't think that there's a lot of people waiting until the end simply because they're going to get spoiled in that time frame. But I can imagine a lot of people just binging the entire season. Sure, sure. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of series are being released where you can just binge the whole thing. And I do it. I I will sit for an entire day and just watch (laughs) an entire season of one show. Yeah. I'd be like, now what do I do with myself? Right. I hear you. (laughs) Uh, By the way, I do want to apologize. Some of the the text comments have gotten past me because they're not updating uh, the way they normally would. I blame the Facebook app. Um, But I do want to read some of these that are are really great. Narda says, I think a little darkness is in most shows. Even TOS had its moments and TNG and all other Trek shows went dark at times. But we do need some light to connect us with humanity. 
Well said. Um, Jane says, so much Star Trek to watch right now. It's like we're entering the golden pressed Latinum age of Star Trek. <laughs> I definitely agree with you there. Uh, and then uh, David brought up a point that I, I definitely want to get into here in a moment, and uh, we'll probably bring it up again with our next caller. He says, what caused the Federation to collapse? Ignorance of science? Um, oh. Ooh, okay. I think we will get into that in just a moment. Uh, Chris, any uh, any parting shots here before we say goodnight? Uh, no, I mean, I just really like this. I think we're off to a great start here. Uh, uh, like many people, I'm a big fan of David Ayala. He was in Supergirl a couple seasons ago and did great work there. Uh, also playing his enigmatic trench coat wearing character. So always a fan of that. Uh, but yeah, this is... Really fun. Glad to be back for another 10 to 13 weeks of more Star Trek. Excellent, man. Well, we will see you soon. Thank you for calling in. All right. Sounds good. You know what yeah. I found out today? What's David, the, the actor who plays Book, obviously, uh-huh. uh, he and I are three days apart. Really? I'm older than him by three days. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Hey, uh, some other casting notes that I thought were really interesting because I, I love the tradition of, you know, Star Trek rehiring the people that they like to work with. That just, yeah. you know, it always happens and that's great. So we, we have some disco regulars in other roles here. So like the actor who plays Linus, uh, yeah. David Benjamin Tomlinson, and I love Linus. I, I love that character so much. But he's playing Cosmo. The Beetle Geisian. Yes, yes. So that was super cool. And so then oh, he's played Sarian and Beetle Geisians we see for the first time in the same scene in the motion picture. And he's playing both now. Whoa. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Good for him. And then uh, Mary Chifo's stunt double, Nicole Dickinson, plays the Orion Hadley who we need in this just for that brief moment. And, but she has been other uh, characters throughout discovery Klingons. She was a Talosian. Uh, If you go back and watch that episode where they went back to Talos four with Pike, uh, she was one of the Talosians in that. So yeah, Yeah. cool to see people get uh, repurposed and and used all over the place. Um, Hey, uh, not unlike uh, Tracy Coco who joins us in the, (laughs) uh, the live show chat uh, from week to week. So uh, why don't we go to our, uh, who will be our last caller of the evening? And that would be uh, John, John Arminio. Welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm great. How are you doing, John? Doing all right. Oh, you have good audio. Good for you. Thank you. He's (laughs) a pro. He's a pro. He is a podcaster now. So yeah. Yeah, uh, good to meet you, Holly. Uh, welcome aboard. It's good, uh, great to have you. Thank you. So what is on your mind, sir? Um, I don't know if anybody else was in this line of thinking, and this is not a criticism at all of the show, but this the first episode gave me like really strong Doctor Who vibes. Vibes. Mm-hmm. Because you had a careening, out-of-control time traveler in a reality-breaking time machine <laughs> crashing into somebody else's business and wrecking havoc on this alien civilization that they have no uh, grounding for and have to sort of quickly acclimate themselves to. And also there's a character who has been standing watch for decades, which is right. kind of a sentinel trope that Doctor Who has done with a few characters. And so then it it did throw me off a little bit because that was sort of my mindset watching the show when it quickly devolved into like a gun battle and 
um, you know, big monster <laughs> e- e- oh, eating everybody. And, you know, Doctor Who is sort of anathema to gunplay. Um, yes. So I think, I don't know, I think my personal interaction with Discovery is that my expectations keep getting in my own way of enjoying the show. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've actually never watched Doctor Who, and a lot of people who I say that to, they're like, oh, but you would love it. I'm like, that's exactly why I haven't watched it. Like, I can't. Because there's get, a million episodes. It's so yeah, yeah, yeah. I will get obsessed. That yeah. being, so I, I don't have any sort of, like, my like mindset for, like, comparison. Uh, but I will say that the sequence where Book is being chased by Cosmo, Cosmo's ship, to me, look like a bunch of TARDISes. Because <laughs> I do know what a TARDIS way. looks like. They just look sure. like a bunch of TARDISes. <laughs> sure. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, Doctor Who is people, it's beloved. And so I, I think that, you know, it's, it could be a criticism, but it's also a compliment to say that it reminds you of, of, of Doctor Who. I mean, I think once you introduce the idea of time travel and really extreme time travel and you have all the monsters, because look, uh, Discovery has got a big budget and they can give us CG monsters, they can give us great makeup and a lot of different species, then it does sort of, I I think it can't help but resemble Doctor Who in that way, for sure. Yeah, and and in a way, I I realize that because Doctor Who's been around for so long and done so many episodes, it's almost like saying, like... uh, to a sitcom oh simpsons did it well yeah uh, right simpsons has right. 700 episodes of course they've done it like you kind of can't help but encounter yeah. those i mean you can even say that within star trek there are so many things yeah. in this episode that i've even mentioned tonight that i've been like oh that reminded me of this mm-hmm. so yeah, there's just point. a lot of material that you can recall is similar so yeah um, I, I want to, by the way, I want to point out uh, something that was a line in here that uh, I, I hope becomes uh, used throughout the vernacular, uh, space broke, which I guess is worse than just being regular broke, uh, but the, the, we do hear the term being space broke in this episode, so I, I hope that catches on somewhere, somehow, uh, but I wanted to ask both of you about some of the the morals, meanings, messages of this episode, maybe what we're getting set up for. So uh, definitely they're introducing this thread of hopefulness. Like how do you put things back together when you're at absolute rock bottom? The Federation isn't wiped out necessarily, but they are broken. They're broken apart. They can't connect with each other. So how do we reconnect and, uh, and, and get back on, on similar ground here well i think right off the bat a huge uh, part of the storyline is is going to be teamwork uh Mm -hmm. you know you have the first episode we see obviously burnham and and book working as a team but we're still waiting for the discovery crew to come through and and she keeps michael keeps saying like i need to contact my ship i need to contact my ship and you know Mm -hmm. she knows that as soon as she gets in contact with them that together they can solve this problem this overarching problem of Mm -hmm how to get the Federation back together, potentially how to get back to their own timeline, uh, so on right. and so forth. So right. uh, I think that and teamwork is going to play a major role in terms of messaging. I agree with you there. And I, I'm going to throw out another one here. I, I really, I was interested that they threw in this ecological angle with Book's mission. Doesn't it remind uh, you of Star Trek Four? 
It does. It does quite a bit. So that, I was like, that, oh, whales. Yeah. So that I thought was awesome. And I thought it was really interesting that they specified the Endangered Species Act and that that was something that the Federation enforced. So, you know, Star Trek takes place in this, you know, post-nationalistic time. I, I pointed out on Mission Log, you know, an early next gen, they don't even know what a France is because they just, they, they don't think about nations the way that we do now. But, right. you know, the Endangered Species Act is something that is specific to the United States. But here in this version of the future, it's something that the Federation does. And I thought it was cool to draw those parallels and oops, okay, when you don't have a Federation and people don't respect the the intent behind an act like right. that well we're gonna have a problem oh I, I, this is not the first time that that was mentioned too it was mentioned in i think magic to make the sanest mad go mad it magic was mentioned to, in that yes, too yeah, and okay. they you know they talked about like you'll be court-martialed if you don't take a being that you found that is endangered to a sanctuary uh, uh my question is uh -huh. If there's no one around to enforce, if there's the Federation is not around to enforce this, and that's why citizens like Book have taken it upon themselves to sort of enforce it themselves or to carry it out at the very least. Mm -hmm. but they also said that like temporal and time travel has been outlawed too. Who's enforcing that? <laughs> right. And how could they? Yeah. Right. If you're saying that w one of these things that the Federation was responsible for is not being enforced because they're not around anymore, but this other thing is still like people are, are people adhering to that? I, right, I don't, right. I don't think people are. I think there's going to be outlawed time travel happening all the time. So because book is referencing the Endangered Species Act and the mm -hmm. fact that time travel has been outlawed, things that might be outdated by a hundred years, is mm -hmm. there something more to book's past that we are not cognizant of right now? I mean, there's a lot, mm -hmm. obviously, we don't yeah. know about book yet, just based on the fact that he's talking to Molly, the transworm, and no one else, <laughs> and, you know, is having, you know, <clears throat> leaves and plants rise up out of the Blue Lagoon. Right. Right. Not, I, I, not literally yeah. the Blue Lagoon. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, from 1980, but yeah. No, I, I the you. Blue Lagoon in Iceland, which I have been to, and it's delightful. Uh, I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah. How could we not be? Exactly. Well, I think... Go ahead. Uh, one of the things that I find most interesting about Discovery, like, I know the spore drive created a lot of continuity and logic problems, but <laughs> what's, what I find really interesting about the show that this episode really continues is the integration between biology and technology and, and you know, the far futurism and sort of a connection to our biological past and ancestors. So, you know, um, and we continue that with, you know, Book's connection to nature and his shepherding of this creature that most other people in the, certainly in the show would see as monstrous, but he clearly cares for. Mm -hmm. And that is also in line with the way that, you know, dilithium has now been destroyed by human action. So there is this real thread of environmentalism uh, in, in just this episode, but I think that does carry through with, with Discovery. And I'm really interested to see how that kind of shapes the show going forward. Well, and then let me ask you both to speculate a little bit here about the burn and and what's going on there because i i like the idea that we might be you know setting up some interesting threads and themes that carry us through the season and i wondered if the burn the the idea of what happened to all this dilithium are we getting set up for another angle on 
you know, a, an ecological story? Is this something that was unavoidable based on the use of that resource? Uh, or is this something, as David pointed out in the chat, like we failed to listen to or understand what the science was telling us about that? Um, you know, we've had we've had multiple different story themes in Star Trek Discovery so far, uh, but we had a lot of man versus man in season one, man versus technology in season two. Now are we going to have a lot of environmental uh, factors challenging our crew in this season? Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, there was even um, a couple episodes of Next Generation where there was this uh, idea introduced that going to warp was sort of right destabilizing yeah. the space-time continuum yeah it was like right. ripping holes in the fabric yeah. of space that, yeah, that speed limit which they definitely yeah. stuck to after that and never violated ever again unless it's an emergency everything was an emergency <laughs> right. yeah so uh, i have seen a lot of people ask if the burn is burnham herself uh, is that a little too on the nose it might be <laughs> Would it be? Or do you think that it would be too on the nose and so they were like, no, we're going to do it because they're going to think it's too on the nose and we're going to confuse them. Okay. Okay. So we'll reverse psychology there. I got it. I got it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be. Look, I think if they're smart, and this goes back to, you know, Matt's original comment in our show tonight, it's just that you can't keep forcing the reason that the character is important. I would hope that they wouldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. <laughs> but those are, that's just a comment that I've seen. A lot of people have been like, oh, no, I already figured it out. It, the burn is Burnham. You know what's always interesting about those? When people on the internet say they figured it out, I love to come back 10, 15 weeks later and go like, no, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't. No. Uh, John, we're up against uh, the top of the hour. Any, uh, any final thoughts tonight before we say goodnight? I think my, my hope for Discovery is that it's a show that can show us a way forward. And I think in, in the past, it's you know, shown like the worst aspects of ourselves. And, but I hope with this new season, now that everything has been so, so broken and fragmented that it, it can really find a way to, you know, with, with the teamwork that Holly mentioned earlier, that we can find a way to recover from the disasters of our past and, and really go towards a more shining future. Well said, man. Well, with Thank that. You. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by the indefatigable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest in the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. By the way, we have a Patreon-only hangout coming up this Saturday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. We hope to see you there. Accessories by cufflinksinc.com thanks to everyone who joined us live or later stay safe stay healthy we look forward to talking with you next week podcast.roddenberry.com the roddenberry podcast network